Welcome to another podcast, Innovation in Government Business. I'm Christian Dunn, Managing Partner at Strategic Institute for Innovation in Government Contracting. I'm sitting down today with our regular guest, Rick Dunn, founder at Strategic Institute for Innovation in Government Contracting. At our last training, Rick, uh, we introduced the five principles and the five hindrances of OTs. Today, I'd like to talk about the five principles of OT. And let's first start with what they are. One, OTs equal flexibility. Two, if it's R&D, use an OT. Three, OTs are far out, man. OTs are far out. Four, OTs want you to think. And five, the team. You got it. <laughs> team for success. So, Rick, number one, which is OTs equal flexibility. I mean, that's obviously the main, one of the main virtues or, or features of OTs is that they are flexible contracts. You often talk about freedom of contract, but we're trying to distinguish them as being something different than what is traditionally used in the government acquisition system today. Yes. Uh, this is is such an important point. You know, we 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 think we convey the messages that are embodied in the five principles, uh, but you know, I, I I think we have to address them in a very very straightforward and simple manner because I get the impression that they're not they're not getting through in in many cases. Uh, but flexibility, I mean, as opposed to OTs, are about non traditional performers. Uh, OTs are about avoiding uh, protests. OD, OTs are about uh, flexibility and in intellectual property. OTs are about circumventing the traditional acquisition system. Yeah. yeah. Uh, th they are about flexibility. And you, you, know, you say, I use the term freedom of contract. I mean, contracting is, you know, fundamentally um, the ability of two or more persons or entities to enter into an agreement, I mean, as, as long as it doesn't violate criminal law or other other laws, they can create a uh, a regime between themselves um, that is enforceable at law. That's that's what contracts allow you to do. They allow individuals and companies to uh, form structures that are legally enforceable. Wait, so contracting doesn't have to be fill in the blank, cut and paste. It doesn't just have to follow all of these little regulations. It can actually be a verb. Contracting, the, the essence of contracting is the freedom to uh, agree upon terms that make sense to you. To oh, so when you're talking about other transactions, you're talking about real contracting. You're talking about contracting as, you know, really sort of many people outside of the government already consider it be what it is. The world is is filled with contracts. They 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 dominate our lives. We enter into contractual relationships sometimes without even understanding that. You know, uh, I've well, made hello a, social media and <laughs> other other apps. Yes, I, I've made a promise to you. You've made a promise to me. It, you know, it, it's uh, legality of subject matter, competent uh, parties consideration uh, supporting the uh, agreement. I mean, the basic principles of contract exist there in life and they're not subject, you know, inherently contracts are not subject to a regulatory regime. 
they can be, and of course, federal acquisition is a is a, an example of overloading uh, the contractual process with regulations and basically uh, limiting it to uh, the, uh, the narrow focus of a purchasing system uh, encumbered by all of these uh, regulations that, you know, over the decades and uh, and centuries just grew. Mm-hmm. You know, this issue or that issue, somebody in Congress or somebody in the executive branch thought was a good idea at the time. It, it uh, overcomes uh, some objection that somebody had or there was a scandal and we reacted to it. And we've got not just pages, but pounds of regulations. And that's sort of uh, contradicts the whole idea behind freedom of contract. So we have uh, a highly regulated per- regulated purchasing system, which people, you know, careers are made of. I mean, they, they learn how to operate under this system uh, as compared to all the flexibility of inherent freedom of contract. And, you know, people in the, in the acquisition business, I think, people don't get just how fundamentally different other transactions are compared to business as usual. And it's, it's as if somebody said, you know, R&D is kind of is inherently a creative activity that requires often collaboration. So we need to have flexible contracts because the types of business arrangements and approaches that we uh, might embark or engage in in order to bring these things uh, from concept to prototype into the world into the field takes something more than just buying stuff which is what the traditional system is really focused on it's buying stuff and so for r&d it just it's just this acknowledging that this business is a business of creating and it, it's 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 a different form it's a different type of business so this flex- it's a different type of thinking it's a different type of thinking different type of business and it allows for those that's what that's what this flexibility is about it, it it's about what it allows okay now number two it's pretty simple uh congress more or less said this if it's r d use an ot uh, congress said back in 2018 you know when it comes to prototype projects and r d develop a preference for using other transactions and you've had you've written at least a couple of articles about detailing out why other transactions are actually the appropriate contractual instrument for r d and it's and you're using the wrong instrument in most cases if you're using the far you're n- not only do we have those uh, the congressional mandates uh, one uh enacted in law as you were mentioning and then in the most recent in the in the uh, committee report the conference report of the most recent National Defense Authorization Act, uh, there's report language that reinforces this, you know, that the secretary is responsible for ensuring that uh, management personnel, uh, uh, program um, program managers, uh, um, financial managers, uh, contracting folks, and lawyers are schooled in, uh, in these innovative forms of, of contracting. Uh, the um, if it's R and D, use an OT. It's it's not it's not just the congressional mandates, but if people who follow the federal acquisition regulation, you know, ought to really read Part Thirty Five because Part Thirty Five point zero zero two points out very first sentence. The purpose of contracted research and development is the acquisition of knowledge and the application of that knowledge to agency and national goals. 
So the FAR points out that the doing the business side of R and D is is different than it's not than, just than it's, services and support. it's just it's not just buying goods and services. It's acquiring and applying knowledge, and I mean the second sentence says you know um, contracts meaning procurement contracts shall be used only when the principal purpose is acquiring goods and services, and FAR thirty five point zero zero three reinforces that uh, that point of view. So. If you're actually faithful to the federal acquisition regulation, you would do what Congress has also mandated you to do. Uh, first of all, if it's research and, as you said, if it's R&D, use an OT. If it's research and development, a procurement contract is not the appropriate instrument. Congress has told the Department of Defense what the appropriate instruments are for research, development, procurement, uh, and, uh, excuse me, prototyping and procurement for experimental purposes. And today, you know, when we first were talking about this podcast, we wanted to bring up this subject in particular. And number three, which is OTs are far out because we get the, the sense uh, just looking at articles and reading what leadership has said that folks really are not standing back and contemplating really what that means. Uh, and and they don't have the skills necessarily or haven't been supported to operate outside of the federal acquisition regulation-based system. There's the comments, it's just another tool. And it's the idea, well, our, our workforce, our far-schooled workforce, you know, we can just uh, tell them to do OTs. Um, there's not a big difference. As we've just discussed in the previous two uh, principles, there is a big difference. Well, there can be. There can be a huge difference. There should. There should be. I mean, you can mimic the FAR, which is largely what has been happening or has been happening to some degree, or you can do entirely different ways of doing business, and that's somehow not being understood at any level, seemingly. It, it, there, folks are too uh, mired in their current ways of thinking or their current previous learning or what some would call indoctrination um, to see just how expansive these authorities can be and just how much they would they do allow. I mean, one of the most popular ways of using other transactions is, is to put together what is essentially a competitive IDIQ uh, relationship uh, and stay stuck in it. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. I mean, the, obviously, the, the, the consortium, the OT consortium model today, uh, you know, I say that it actually, we'll talk about the five hindrances later, but they actually, it's, it's actually, they actually show off all the hindrances of what is wrong with OTs in a sense today. But, uh, you know, when it comes, OTs are far out. And yes, somehow the OT consortia have been subsumed by the current system because it, they do, they're, they're an easy it's, solution to many of the contracting regimes, you know, already, rather, already in place matrix. Ra rather than optimizing the way the project is, is con conducted, they make it easy for the contracting office to, uh, to administer the, uh, the competitive IDIQ structure that is created. So uh, OTs being far out actually allows for a revolution in thought. If the government wants to do it, it has to embrace that. But you know, we hear lots of lofty to, rhetoric. It has to it has to recognize there's a problem. The, our business is, as usual uh, uh, mode 
has isolated the defense industry from the, the vast majority of America's high-tech industry, especially startups. And when people talk about non-traditional uh, performers, yeah, those folks too. Uh, it, it's not that that OTs are only for non-traditional performers, but OTs uh, have the potential to open up the system to whatever source of talent is out there to meet the needs uh, uh to meet mission needs and actually feel and that's a great thing if you're if you're an American if you're a warfighter it may not be such a great thing if you're a prime defense contract I don't know I don't know why there's such a backlash against these, if, these authorities uh, if if we followed the directions of uh, ten United States Code forty eight eleven B um, we would end up. Uh, stripping away from the defense contractors uh, all of the over, overhead that makes them that isolates them from the larger commercial industrial base it would allow them to diversify their product line not only to serve the department of defense but uh, also uh, to go out into the commercial uh, world and apply technologies uh, in a dual use fashion it could be to their great benefit it, it would be. it would change their business model it could and that's the thing it would change their business model it would require them to change as well so now you're talking about large, massive bureaucratic entities not only the department of defense but now their prime defense contractors also having to change the way they think which would yes ultimately be great for the american people but we're not always doing things for the american people now uh, that's the sad part Oh, anyway, I don't want to get too far into that, but, you know, OTs are far out. Most people have not stepped back and really contemplated and understood what that means and what that allows. And anyway, um, all right. So the fourth one is OTs want you to think. And this is where, you know, critical thinking comes in, problem solving, finding solution sets come in. It, you know, this is where... You know, it, it's re as I call it, it's real deal business. It's it's rolling up your shirt sleeves and going in there and trying to figure out strategy. <laughs> you know, other transactions are pretty easy to understand. The statutes, the statutes, are, uh, the, the statutes uh, can be understood. They're not mysterious. I mean, you have to read them. You have to have a little uh, go into a little bit of background or background of when and how they were used and how they've been uh, amended over time. But uh, acquiring the knowledge of, uh, of the statutes, because there are no mandatory regulations. DOD has a guide. Other agencies that, that have implemented other transactions have guides or administrative uh, instructions um, to help you. Um, DOD issued... Um, a directive back in the 1990s helping people to understand what statutes apply and don't apply to other transactions. So the, the, the amount of research or the amount of learning that you have to do to become competent in OTs is it? It's not that great. I mean, it's it. You know, well, you're, you're speaking from a lawyer, as a, from a lawyer point of view. Yes, the statutes are not difficult to learn at all. It's, but but <laughs> it's the envi environment that the statutes allow you to operate in that permits and al also basically demands critical thinking, uh, analyzing what the problem set, it, what the problem is, what the solution sets might be. But here's uh, the problem: is they're not operating in those environments. They're learning the statutes. They're learning about what they can do, and then a lot of people are going back and just 
operating in their traditional environment that's dominated by the far, dominated by all the other thinking, and people are scared as heck to do well, anything. Well, and I mean, we, we also have to recognize that the problem with the acquisition system isn't just contracting. The requirement system is broken. The contracting system is broken. And We're the, getting and, into too much now. And, let's, the, let's and, the, and the budget system is broken. The critical thinking has to go on in the entire, take, take into consideration the entire in, environment. The possibility of bringing in private financing. The idea of underst understanding the, the problem that needs to be solved as opposed to just starting with a pre-existing requirement. Well, at the last at the last training, I asked how many people have actually operated their own business, you know, um, that had payroll. Not, so not just a consultant. They actually have a business, and, and you know, one guy said he had. But uh, basically, my guess is if you went through the government, most people do not have that type of business experience. They do not have experience running and operating their own business, having to actually come up with you know, pay their employees, do benefits, you know, have a product that they have that has to, or a service that is successful in order to stay afloat. Most people don't have that business experience, and they're missing. And so the DoD is missing a. A very important piece, I think, by not having that type of real, actual business experience in its, you know, when, in its when pe people talk about business experience in government, they're basically talking about government business. I know, and, which is the same thing. You're just so you're going on the outside. Uh, you're you're going on the other side of the uh, of, of the whatever you want to call it. The no, it's the, a very yeah. it's very narrowly focused, and and it misses the point uh, uh, that that some of the other principles uh, talk about, uh, which is this great flexibility, the opportunities that are out there. Yeah, I always say if you want to fix government acquisition, go out and find, you know, five-star small business or medium-sized business owners, put them in, in leadership positions, and they'll get rid of the crap right away, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, but anyway, so the fifth principle of OTs is team for success. We really realize the first step when, when, when wanting to use OTs is putting together a team. And, and teaming is really, really important because it needs to, we need to look for these qualities, these qualities of, you know, you often talk about can-do attitude. Well, that's, that's nice, but I mean, you've got, to, you've got to bring on some creative people. You've got to bring on some people who have a can-do attitude, but you also have to bring on people who are willing to do something different and and know why they're doing it we we also talk talk about that language is important mm. and language mm -hmm. matters and so when we're talking about team if people say oh i've got a team we have an acquisition team mm -hmm. you know it's it's joe over there at legal and it's sam at uh financial management and and the comptroller's office and uh, we have a, a guy who knows about test no no that is in the setting of business as usual. That is in the setting of the cost too much takes too long system. When we're talking about a team, we're talking uh, about an empowered, protected team. If a you special really special purpose acquisition team, or if something you like that. if you really want to exercise OTs and and their inherent flexibility, you need to take the humans involved out of the organizational structure that they're currently in and liberate them and liberate their thinking from business as usual because we've got you know all of these layers of bureaucracy we've got all of these checkers and naysayers in the in the current system uh, and people who are used to uh, you know 
the most important question is, what piece of paper do I put in the file? No, the most important question is, what's the right thing to do? What makes sense in this project at this uh, particular point in time? So a, a team of creative, creative people who, who uh, are dealing with each other, not as organizational representatives, but as, as an integrated team trying to solve problems and, uh, and get capability uh, where it's needed uh, on the time scale that it's needed. That's the team that we're talking about. And, mm-hmm. and it's something different than the business as usual acquisition team of organizational representatives. We call this podcast Innovation and Government Business, and we recognize that in order for things to progress, um, people are going to have to experiment. They're going to have to learn by doing. And, you know, ultimately, other transactions, uh, the, the statutes support doing different types of business and different types of business arrangements. But people still have to go out there and do these things. They still have to do something, you know, champion novel business approaches. You know, the the OSG guide on other transactions was created and it was supposed to be an an evolving uh, document, integrating lessons learned. Well, there have been too few lessons learned uh, over time because people haven't really exercised the the flexibility that's uh, available to them. with, with other transactions. And, you know, the department is not in a position to start dictating rules about other transactions. I mean... E- because e- they don't understand yet. Yeah, right. Why mm-hmm. dictate rules before you even have developed a basic conceptual understanding of something? They, the OTs have not been ex- exercised uh, to the extent that they should be in the form... Even the forms that were created back in the 1990s have basically been abandoned. I mean, there are... There are uh, uh, there are examples out there of how to do business differently, how how to put industry teams together uh, in a way that makes uh, that makes sense, and uh, and I'm afraid you know we're going to start over regulating things. I mean, this uh, most recent National Defense Authorization Act, where Congress seems to be uh, itching a scratch about middle tier of acquisition, you know. No, middle tier of acquisition is not off the ranch. Uh, middle tier of acquisition hasn't really uh, been exercised to the extent that it uh, that it should be. So uh, you know, let's not uh, uh, start to overregulate things when we haven't even uh, uh, given them a chance to to show their potential. For sure. I mean, we there. This is an area that needs lots of improvement. So. You know, there's only one way to do, there's only one way to improve things. And that is, unfortunately, by going out, experimenting, maybe bumping your head, maybe failing a little bit. But, you know, I don't know. If leadership paved the way and actually got behind these things, I think we'd see a lot more dynamism and uh, synergies being created out there. Well, I mean, I'm glad that uh, we have the five uh, principles and we get a chance to talk about them. But but, uh, I don't think that... uh, DOD and other federal agencies uh, leaders uh, have focused in at all uh, on the issues that the five principles raise, you know, starting with flexibility uh, and and the ability to to create, you know, collaborative structures that maybe haven't existed before. Maybe that's what a program needs. And uh, so I hope that uh, that leadership, somebody in leadership might tune into this podcast as well. (laughs) So OTs equal flexibility. Right. And then, um, oh boy, <laughs> OTs, if it's R&D, use an OT. Uh, far OTs out. are far out. 
OTs want you to think, and team for success. Those are the five principles of OTs, at least as we've come up with to, in order to help folks to, you know, develop a little bit better understanding about these authorities. And hopefully folks, you have found uh, something we've said today meaningful and we wish you a happy rest of your day. Thank you for joining in.